church. All right. Our campaign is called Worthy. We've been in this campaign for a while, and I finally made a graphic for it. Look at that. Woo! Yes. It's only like four weeks overdue, and the crown might be a little much, but look how cool it is. It fits so perfectly over the O like a head. Oh, my goodness. I outdid myself with my graphic design, didn't I? I'm not. Canva makes it very easy. Okay. All right. Anyways, in this campaign, what we're talking about is worship. We're talking about worship. In the first few weeks of the campaign, we talked about more informal forms of worship. We talked about how like creation inspires worship, how they, when somebody does something that's so kind, that's so caring, so loving, that that should draw us and inspire us to worship. Uh, in the second half of this campaign, we're going to talk about more formal acts of worship, more churchy forms of worship, like we're doing here and participating in here. So we're talking about the, the more religious things. And what I'm going to use today is a lot is these religious, these ceremonial, these formal forms of worship, the singing, the listening, the communion, uh, the church attendance, all of this stuff is a vehicle. I'm describing these as vehicles for genuine worship. These are not genuine worship. Okay, you can sing. Like, I was, singing by itself does not mean worship. <laughs> it doesn't automatically get you there. I was blasting Taylor Swift in the car with my daughter this morning. Like, that wasn't worship, right? <laughs> I guess it can be. You can be worshiping Taylor Swift. Whatever. Um, <laughs> that's not the same, right? These are vehicles. These are things that are meant to draw us, to get us to the destination of worship. They are not worship in and of themselves. Evelyn Underhill, she described worship in the language of this total adoring response to who God is, to what he has done, to what he is doing, and to what God will do. It's this total adoring response. We've been using the language of worship being ascribing worth to something, which we all worship because we all ascribe worth to things. But when it comes down to it, what do we worship as ultimate? Who or what is the supreme object of our affection, our devotion, our adoration? If it is anything but God, that is an idol. And what we're going to talk about in this, the rest of this campaign is how we tend to really idolize these spiritual vehicles, these spiritual forms, these ceremonies for worship. Today we're going to go through a number of the things that we tend to take as cheap substitutes for genuine worship of God. And even these ceremonial churchy things, which are good in and of themselves, if we're not careful, they become the object of our devotion. They become the supreme adoration of our life. When they are just meant to be vehicles. And then instead of worshiping the one true, only, triune God, we worship Things like singing, preaching, other people. So we cannot mistake them for genuine worship of God. So first, let's see what God says about it. Exodus 34, 14, this is consistent all throughout the Old Testament, especially God says, do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. <laughs> this word jealous, we hear this, we read about this in Scripture, and we're like, wait, What? <laughs> That seems off, right? That God is jealous. It's always used, this term is always used in the context of idolatry. 
saying, God is jealous for his people's devotion and affection. And it's not because God needs it. He's not like clamoring after you because he needs it. No, God will be worshiped. God can make the rocks cry out. Stars are worshiping him. <laughs> Stars are magnificent. The universe is amazing. And they declare worship to him. God will be worshiped. The question is, will you worship? Because worship is good for you. Worship puts everything else in its proper place and context. When your total adoration, all of your affection is given unto God. He is the only one who's worthy of it. And he's jealous for it because he knows that that's good for you. It's like in marriage, right? Like marriage is exclusive. And so in a married relationship, you're, you're jealous for your partner's affection, right? Because it's meant to be exclusive. And throughout the Old Testament, when we talk about this idea of idolatry, Scriptural authors constantly point back to marriage as an example of this. Of how when the people of Israel had worshipped foreign gods and taken foreign idols, it was like adultery. It's compared to adultery. And so when we worship pagan gods, when we worship other gods, when we give our total adoration and affection to something or someone other than God, it's like adultery. We're committing adultery in our relationship with God. He even gives us a live-action example of it in the prophet Hosea. This is Hosea's call in Hosea 1-2. It says, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go and marry a promiscuous woman. The word's a little stronger than promiscuous, okay? But you know where I'm going, adults, right? Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. And so through his prophet Hosea, he calls him to a live-action model, of what the people were doing to God. So when we aren't worshiping God, we're worshiping a cheap substitute. God is jealous for our worship because it is good for us. He is the only one who we should worship. He's the only one who when we worship, we will never be disappointed because he's the only one who can handle it. Jesus talks about worship in John 4, 22, and we're going to Return to this verse a number of times, so I want to introduce it here and now. In this conversation, Jesus is talking with the Samaritan woman, and she asked him to settle this long debate about where they're supposed to worship. The Samaritans believed it was on Mount Gerizim uh, where they were supposed to worship. I'm not going to get into it too much. The Jews thought that it was at Jerusalem where they were supposed to worship, and she's like, who's right? So Jesus answers her question here, but he's going to answer it in a very different way. He's not just going to give her a... Uh, simple answer because things are changing. Things change with Jesus. Jesus changed a lot of things. And basically, what he's going to say is that the location of worship is irrelevant. Worship is something different. But he teaches us a good deal about worship in these few verses. He says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So what we learn here at minimum is that there is a true and a false form of worship. God is looking for a certain type of worshiper, and he's seeking this worshiper. And so this is the condition of our heart and our soul and our inner life must be, as Jesus is going to say here, in spirit and in truth. 
This is worship. So at the outset, when we think of spirit and in truth, these are a deep part of who you are and part of your inner life and your spirit. And truth is a concept, right? It's not something that you necessarily just do. So again, we're back to the things that we do in church are vehicles for genuine worship. They are not worship in and of themselves. Serving, serving others can be worship if it's in spirit and truth. Singing can be worship, again, if it is in spirit and truth. Hearing the word of God can be worship if it is in spirit and in truth. So when Jesus says spirit, what does he mean? Some translations, they capitalize the word spirit, suggesting that the reference is to the Holy Spirit. I think the ESV is right here in translating it in the lowercase spirit, talking about our spirit. But we shouldn't really press the distinction very far. Because I think what Jesus is saying here, he's alluding to the transformation that has to happen in our spirit. How when we come to believe in Jesus, our spirit which was dead to God is made alive through the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's only through God's spirit that our spirit comes alive to him. So we shouldn't press the distinction too far. It's God's work within us that awakens our spirit to God. And we connect with him then through that. And this is hard to explain. <laughs> this is one of those concepts, one of these ideas, worshiping God in spirit. As I, I've been wrestling with this for a while now. Like, how do I put that to words? And honestly, I think I'm at the point where I can't. I don't know how to describe this. It is something that must be experienced. So it's like asking me to describe love for my wife, Savannah. I don't know. <laughs> what words would you use for that? Whatever words you choose are utterly insufficient to describe it. So whatever words you choose to Try to describe worshiping God in spirit are utterly insufficient to describe what is happening in your inner life when you are genuinely participating in this type of worship. All I can say is something comes alive in you. I remember when I, when I fully surrendered my life to Jesus and I gave my life over to him, and after that moment, something changed. Like, I wasn't just singing songs anymore. I used to, like, kind of hate the music time, because I was like, I can't sing. What, are, what do people hear me? I don't like this part. Now I'm like, I don't care, man. Like, something has come alive in me where I'm just worshiping God and something in my spirit is connecting with him. I don't know how to describe it other than that. You know it if you've experienced it. And so this is why singing is one of the vehicles that we have for worship, is to worship God with our spirit. Something should be coming alive in you, connecting with God while we are singing that connects with your spirit. And then Jesus says, truth, we must worship him in truth. If he had just said worship him in spirit, then the spiritualists would be fine in saying, like, I feel God most when I'm sitting next to a tree, so the tree is God, right? <laughs> I feel God most when I'm with the person that I love, so my lover is God. Like, that's a very common refrain in music, okay? If you listen to country songs, you'll hear that all the time, <laughs> right? <laughs> and they'd be fine in saying that if Jesus didn't say truth. But Jesus said truth. 
So God is not the tree. God is not creation. Just because you experience him there does not mean God is that. God is not another person sitting like next to you or your spouse. God is not them. God is the triune, transcendent, creator God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we must worship him according to the truth of Scripture. And that is why we preach. In preaching, we're revealing the truth of who God is so we can worship him according to how he really is. Not with some fanciful idea of whatever we think God is. We're not permitted to do that. Because God has revealed to us who he is. We can't just come up with our own concepts of God and say, well, this is how I think of God. Therefore, this is how I'm going to worship him. Nope, God has revealed who he is to us in scripture. And so we must worship him in truth according to who he really is is. So our big idea is very simple. God alone is to be worshipped, and he is to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. God is jealous for our full devotion for this, to be the supreme object of our affection, and we are to worship him and him alone, and to worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, I want to go through some cheap substitutes in the church that we tend to substitute for genuine worship of God. Remember, these forms, these religious ceremonies, these are vehicles that are meant to get us to the genuine worship of God in spirit and in truth. We cannot substitute these for actual worship. Just because you're singing does not mean you're worshiping. Just because you are listening does not mean you are worshiping. These can be some cheap substitutes for worship. Number one is the building. You're like, wait. <laughs> Give me a sec. All right. <laughs> we in the Western church, I think we tend to worship the building. <laughs> You're like, I don't worship a building. It's brick. In the Old Testament, they worshiped the temple. They thought just because they came to the temple, they were worshiping. They had the temple. If the temple was built, they were worshiping. Still in the Western church today, we tend to view the building as the thing to be worshipped. Let me explain further. Church growth strategists will tell you, and I'm kind of giving you the thing that they always tell pastors, the behind-the-scenes view of what they tell pastors. Church growth strategists will tell you if your church is losing momentum or enthusiasm or you just need a boost to do a building campaign. This gets people excited. They give more. There's buzz in the community about your building. The implicit assumption there, again, is that worship of God is not enough to attract the average American Christian. And they're right. They're absolutely right about that. Worship of God alone is not enough to attract the average American Christian. The strategy works if it's aimed at attracting the average American Christian. And we know from experience. When we remodeled the building here, lots of buzz in the community. Lots of people showed up. Lots of new people kept coming. Giving shot up. It works. It works. But does it lead people to be worshipers of God is the question. Are we in our church strategies undermining genuine worship of God and encouraging people to be worshipers of the building. And I know it's not genuine. It's not the building. If we dig deeper, it's comfort, it's programming, it's opportunities for me and my family, right? 
It's, it's something else there that's genuinely deeper, but the building is kind of the manifestation of it. Coming to a great building like this to worship is great. It's awesome that we have this privilege, this opportunity to gather together with a large group and worship God. But worshiping the building is a cheap substitute for the God of the universe. <laughs> and when I say it, it's like, of course. But so often these things go unarticulated in our mind. And what we're worshiping is the comfort of having a building. We're worshiping a space. And oftentimes, the church's strategies blur that line. The second thing we tend to worship as a cheap substitute is family in the church. So many Christians, we participate in church for our family and not for the worship of God. Remember, these are vehicles to lead us to worship, not the worship in and of themselves. Youth, sometimes you maybe you're attending church because your parents made you, right? Like, I get it. <laughs> We've all been there, right? You attend church because your parents made you, but that's not worship. Parents, you attend church for your kids because your kids are here, and you want your kids to be in a positive environment, to have somebody else teach them good things, right? Good things. Not worship, though. Not worship in spirit and in truth. There's a lot of signs and symptoms that you're worshiping your family and not the church. I'm going to leave it to the Holy Spirit to speak to you about some of those things. But just reflect and ask yourself, am I here more for my family than I am for the worship of God? It's a good thing that your family is here, that you're bringing your family or you're attending with your family. Very good thing. Use that as a vehicle for worship, but it is not worship in and of itself. It is a cheap substitute for the worship of God. Friends is another one. Friends. Or I should say our hope of finding that special friend, right? <laughs> uh. I hear that often. Okay. Again, friends are a good thing. It is such a joy to worship together with your friends and with people that you know and you love. And these relationships where you're loving one another, but they are not to be substituted for the worship of God. Next, I just kind of threw... These three together, your denomination, your church structure, your pastor, whatever. Some folks come from a very high church culture where it's very formalized, very ceremonial, very structured. They come to a church like Life Bridge and they're like, oh, I just love that you like wear skinny jeans. And then I can like, you know, <laughs> you can bring your coffee in. Like, it's so informal. It's so luxurious. It's so simple. It's so great. Again, it's fine. It's a form. It's a structure, though. It's a vehicle to help you to worship God and to remove distractions for worshiping God, not the thing to be worshipped in and of itself. People tell me often how, like, relatable the sermon was. Even though I said some very challenging things, but, like, just my approach, my demeanor, something about it is very relatable. Again, good vehicle to help you see clearly who God is. 
Music, it's so good. The artists are so talented, and they are. Right? Vehicle to help you, bring you to worship of God. Not the worship in and of itself. The best compliment a visitor has ever paid our church was when someone who attended a few times, they basically said, I sense the presence of God in your church service. Money. That's what we're going for, man. <laughs> That's it. Everything else is a vehicle to help get you to genuine worship of God in spirit and in truth. So we look at this list. Once heard it said, what you idolize, you will eventually demonize. What you idolize, you will eventually demonize. When you look at this list, if you're attending church for the building, at some point you're going to be like, man, are they ever going to like fix that rug? Like, hey, John, that background is a little 2018. Like, the sound system again? Uh, all of this stuff will start to annoy you more and more and more. And if that is the thing that you idolize, you will eventually demonize it, and you'll eventually demonize the whole church. Same with family and friends. If you love attending worship solely as the primary object of your affection to be with your friends, eventually you'll be like, ah, I'm here every week, and they come once every four? Come on. They didn't even sit with me today. They said something mean to me in the lobby and didn't apologize. And then eventually, you begin to demonize and you begin to despise the church. Same with the denominational church structure stuff, right? They're so unorganized. <laughs> after, after loving the informal structure of the church, eventually you get to the point where you're like, can't they get their act together, right? <laughs> Did John even know what he was going to say before he got up there? Maybe, right? <laughs> Eventually, those things that you idolized, you will demonize. And then they will lead you further and further away from genuine worship of God. These are vehicles. Vehicles meant to worship God and God alone. Do not make the church structures which are good, which are in place to bring you to help you, to aid you in the worship of God, in spirit and in truth, to connect with God in your spirit, to know who God is, and to genuinely glorify him and to enjoy him forever. Don't take those other things and worship them. These are cheap substitutes for worship of the genuine, one, true God. These are great things, but they're cheap substitutes. They're cheap substitutes. Like, you've all done this. I've done this a hundred times. Where you order something online. It looks great in the picture. Wayfair is apparently famous for this. I've never ordered anything from it, but whatever. You order something. It looks awesome in the picture. You get it, and it's like falling apart or like cheap and super just doesn't work, right? We did this with my kids when we got them a tablet. The brand will rename unnamed, Okay. We are, <laughs> in case you're a fan, we are uh, tech fans of Apple technology and their devices and stuff. We got them a different brand because we're like, ah, they're kids. They won't care. It's cheaper. It's way easier. Um, I remember unpackaging the thing and like holding it, and it felt like light and flimsy. I was like pushing on the plastic, and it felt like it was going to break. I was like, I can't drop this. We need to get like the best case possible, or this thing is going to just be gone. 
The operating system was just super annoying. I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't, like, I don't know how to do basic things, and I'm a millennial. I'm like a techie, and I can do most of this stuff, and I can't figure out how to do something on this thing. The thing made it a couple of months, and we're like, get it out of here. We're, we're getting the kids old iPads, right? But we've all ordered something online that's a cheap substitute for the real thing. And it leaves you disappointed, and it leaves you wanting more. Any of these things are good things, and they're important things, but they will leave you empty. They're vacuous. God is the only one worthy of our worship, and we are to worship him in spirit and in truth. These things that we do at church are vehicles to help you worship. They're not worship in and of themselves. Band, why don't you guys come and get set up? We're going to have an opportunity to worship through communion. And again, communion is another one of these vehicles. It's a practice that's meant to lead you to the cross, to remind you, to point you as a memorial to what Jesus has done for you on the cross. But if your spirit has not been awakened to God and you aren't connecting with God through this, you're just eating bread and drinking juice. Communion elements are set up here at the sides. I'm going to pray. I invite you guys to come up, take the communion elements, bring them back to your seat and hold on to them. And as you're holding on to them at your seat, and as the band is playing, I just want you to sit and to reflect on this. Am I genuinely worshiping God in spirit and in truth? Or have these religious forms, these vehicles become so mundane to me? that there's nothing happening in my spirit. There's nothing happening in me that's genuine worship. I'm just doing the thing. Spend a moment with God and pray that his spirit would genuinely awaken you to, to worship. So when you experience that, nothing else compares. Just going through the motions is a cheap substitute. And you'll find you can worship God genuinely anywhere. And he fills your soul in a way that nothing else will. Everything else will seem cheap, unsatisfactory to the worship of the one true God. So Lord, as we go into this time of communion, would your spirit just guide us? Would your spirit awaken us to you, Lord? Would you fill us with a genuine sense of worship? to praise you, to glorify you, to dwell in your presence, Lord, and to enjoy you, communion with you, Lord, and help all of these forms of worship to be what they are to us, vehicles leading us to genuine worship of you and not worship itself. So Lord Jesus, would you stir in our hearts to give you praise and glory and honor. Bring us into your presence, Lord, we pray. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, the good news is about worshiping God in spirit and in truth is you don't need to be in a building to do so. You don't need to have all these religious ceremonies and forms to do so, so you can worship God fully in spirit and truth tomorrow at work, Tuesday, when you wake up.
Wednesday in the evening at home. You can worship God throughout your week. Connect with him in the same way that you do today. So that's my prayer for you as you go, that you will worship God in spirit and truth throughout this week, just as you have done here today. Go in peace.